told you in the earlier session that we have uh, in the Bible there is a direction toward success. The measure of that success is faithfulness. God gives lots of just different distributions. Sometimes the way He gives us life, what He intends to do for us, has a great deal of material success. Other times, like the Lord Jesus, it's an early out for His pain. But with that comes eternal success. Yeah. Try that. Okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with having peace, nothing wrong with doing well. Uh, our society has tried to mock the idea that upward mobility is okay. In the scriptures, it's not wrong. Uh, it's wrong to get it the wrong way or at the wrong price. But the blessing of God does rest on people. If you set your heart on money, uh, you're setting your heart on the wrong thing. If you set your heart on peace, you're setting your heart on the wrong thing. If you set your heart on a relationship, family, or whatever, you're setting your heart on the wrong thing. You need to set your heart on the Lord. And you need to be faithful with what he gives you. But there is, there are promises in the scripture of a better state of well-being. If you'll move toward them, you'll find life better than if you don't. We've been taking a look at some of those. The framework of success is pursuing wisdom along what righteousness and justice, Proverbs says. That wisdom has to do with how God, who God is and how he runs the world. And we took a look at some attitudes that really impact our success. We looked at the fear of the Lord and trust in the Lord. What I'd like to do tonight is take a look at these last three. Um, can anyone quote Luke 16, 15? Anyone know it? Hmm? That's one of the most troubling verses in the whole Bible. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're those who justify yourself before men. But God knows your hearts. For what's highly exalted in the eyes of man is an abomination in the sight of God. This means that you and I have a, have a problem from the word go with priorities and a problem from the word go with our value systems. Because what's highly exalted in the eyes of the world is on the bottom of the trash pile of God. What's highly, what's highly exalted in the eyes of the world? Fame? Jesus was famous, wasn't he? All around the Roman Empire, throughout China. Not just local movement in Israel. A lot of people still hadn't heard of him. That's why he had to send the disciples out. Fame, what else? Fortune. Fortune. Yeah, Jesus came as a prince, didn't he? Nope, came as a pauper. He will come as a prince, but he came as a pauper. What else? Status. status. Jesus had a lot of status. Hosanna to the king of kings, the week before they nailed him to the cross. As, as a revolutionary, troublemaker, criminal. Status. What else? What? Looks, beauty. Interesting, the servant over in Isaiah, as someone the scripture says, is not all that pretty. Uh, Jesus, we all have pictures of Jesus as looking sort of like uh, a cross between a movie hunk and Arnold Schwarzenegger. But um, I really wonder if when we get to heaven, he may have crooked teeth. Wouldn't that be a real disappointment to you? All that money you spent. 
I just wonder. I don't, I don't know. I do know he's got some scars. And what else? Education? Power? We aim for all kinds of things. What, what's important to God? Hmm? Yeah, what, what goes on in your heart? What kind of things? What's on the top of the pile as far as God is concerned? Holiness, purity. You know, I mean, how would a TV series go? The lives of the pure and holy. Days of our purity. <laughs> Miss Pure Mate, July. Miss Pure Mate, July. No. Purity, holiness. Real important to God. What else? Humility. Now the whole world's trying to be humble, aren't they? Uh, the, every culture, even in its humility, is arrogant. Uh, one of our... Uh, well, that relates to something else. One, one, of, my, one of my buddies, I, I really did not know Chinese culture uh, or Southeast Asian culture. One of my friends who spent time there said that the bowing to one another at least in one of the countries, is a measure of uh, outwardly humility, but the one who bows the lowest is the most humble and therefore the greatest. And uh, he, he spent time there, so I guess he's right. Even the expression, our expressions of humility are a way to gain status in the world. But with God, God really likes humility. What else? Obedience, we like command. He likes obedience. What else? Brokenness. Yeah, brokenness. How about serving? Now, that's why you go to college, isn't it? Why you go to graduate school? Why you get PhD so you can learn how to serve and really be humble and down there helping people? <laughs> they go to college so people serve you. You hope you won't have to serve. And yet Jesus, the Son of Man, comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark ten forty five. See, these things are real high up there with God. On the world scale, they're way down here. One of the, one of the ladies in our congregation is a nurse, and she was uh, noticing one of her co-workers, and for a moment, the nurse forgot her context. She said about this co-worker to a third person, she said, you know, so-and-so is a real servant. And she was thinking from a Christian standpoint, you know, giving a high compliment, but she forgot her context. <laughs> and what the other person said was, she is not. She thought she was being attacked. You don't call someone a real servant. Well, the world doesn't value that. In the kingdom, it's important. One of the big problems, one of the big problems you have as a ministry leader is you've got a heart for what the world says. You also have a heart for what the kingdom treasures. And over and over and over again in your heart of hearts, you have to sort motives. Remember we said that earlier today that the Lord tests motives of the heart? 
Uh, the Pharisees, they were the ones who could justify themselves before men. But God knew their hearts. We want to build people of the right kind of value system. And these attitudes that we're going to take a look at are attitudes that are deeply precious to God. In our world, uh, they're looked down on. However, in the way God runs the world, these, these are the stairs, they're the steps toward blessing. They're not just spiritual things that someone ought to do. But the way, the way God runs the universe, the person who operates in line with these things, as God runs the universe, ends up the right place at the right time for the right things to happen. Those who rebel against these things and decide they will not live in the fear of God end up the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe even rich, but at the wrong places at the wrong time. And there's a price. Let's look at them. Humility. One of the, one of the key attitudes for success. Not one you normally, you normally think pride. You know, force. But it's humility. A man's spirit brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. If you have a lowly spirit, God promises you honor. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a, a place among great men. Jesus says this later on in the New Testament, but it's in Proverbs. You know, he never tells a bunch, don't take the high seat at the banquet, but sit at the lower table. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among great men. It's better for him to say to you, Come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. Proverbs 25. He, he mocks. This is talking about God. Proverbs 3.34. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Peter quotes that over in 1 Peter 5. God gives grace to the humble. You want grace? Need help? Boy, God, God's looking around for the humble. Just unload trucks for this stuff. Um... Humility itself, in English, in English, humility is a spirit of deference. It's someone who, in their heart of hearts, understands that there are rights and privileges that others have, and they know where the yield signs are in life. They're willing at the, whenever the yield signs on their side, they, they yield. They don't have a, an inflated estimate of themselves. They have a spirit of deference. You see, one of the things that's true about you and me because no matter who you are, what race you are, what nation you are, no matter who you are, you and I stand on level ground before God. I'm no more important than anyone else in the world. And I cannot treat those made in the image of God, I can't treat them as so much machinery, I can't treat them as so much scenery. I can't treat them as unimportant. They are people made in the image of God, and I have to respect that. And that's a basic fact of humility. The nations of the earth, they always draw the line between people, the people, and the rest of humanity that's just so much cattle. But not in the faith. Anyway, a spirit of deference. To humble yourself is to, a spirit, is to have a spirit of deference or submission. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord promises several things. You know, grace. Give grace to the humble. Uh, wealth and honor. Uh, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, Proverbs fifteen thirty three. Humility comes before honor. You want honor? Then take the road to take the road of humility. In those situations where you could just push a little bit and be right there in the limelight, don't be afraid to be aggressive, but don't be arrogant. Over and over again, that path we talked about of success, that path 
comes up right close to what we want and then turns to go a different direction. You always turn. You walk in the light of what's right and just. Humility comes before honor. If you want honor, and that's okay. That's it's good to want honor. Just know that humility comes first. Humility and the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 22, 4. Humility and the fear of the Lord coupled bring wealth and honor in life. And then even wisdom. With humility, with humility comes wisdom, Proverbs 11, 2. You want wisdom? Have to humble yourself. He who walks with wise men grows wise, Proverbs 13, 20 says. But you know, it's a real problem to walk with wise men. They can really see who you are. And they know where the holes are. Then, matter of fact, they might even tell you where the holes are. You have, to, you have to really love truth to get around people who have discernment and wisdom. You have to humble yourself. You have to be willing to receive humility. There are three big opposites in the Scripture. Uh, pride, self-exaltation, and mockery. Um, pride, here's a key verse, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low. But a man of lowly spirit gains honor. If you if you get proud, abandon it quickly. It just is not tasty to eat dirt. When you start feeling yourself getting <laughs> a little inflated, deflate, friend. God carries pens for overinflated people, <laughs> and uh, and it's costly. One of the problems is, just like we talked the other day, God does not immediately deal with the situation. So sometimes we get proud, we get overinflated, and like a bullfrog, we swell up, and uh, nothing happens. We get a little grander idea of ourselves, and we inflate a little more, and we keep on until we're really hyperextended. And then God goes, Whoosh! and you find fragments a lot of places. <laughs> um, I, I have watched people in the ministry do that. I heard one TV ministry before it blew up. I heard the guy saying on TV myself, I, I liked him, actually. A lot of his sermons were even right. But I heard him say this one night. I, I would go home on Sunday nights after worship service, and I'd look at four different TV preachers, all who had completely different styles and state of their communication. I want them to be sweating, and other one looked like he'd just been frozen in ice. Uh, just different kinds. All had audiences. And... Um, I'd, I'd study these guys trying to learn what they're doing. This one fellow said, those of you who know what's happening in the world know that if this ministry goes down, most of the evangelism in the world will stop. I don't know. So I, I, surely I didn't hear the guy right. I mean, there are more than 50,000 third world missionaries out uh, there are more than 50,000 of these people giving their lives. There's a big chunk from the West still giving their lives. Most of the evangelism in the world stopped. Surely, I thought, surely he couldn't have said that. And um, about two or three minutes later, he made the same statement again. Now, I heard that statement, and I got chills on the back of my neck. I told my wife, I said, he's going down. And within about six months, his ministry blew apart at the seams. Pride goes before a fall. And that doesn't always happen immediately. It might be six years. But there is a price. The higher you soar, overinflated, the further the fragments have to fall before they splatter against the ground. 
And we don't take that seriously, see? No, we, don't, we don't really take that seriously. We think, well, it's being a little proud. We, we don't take that seriously. But God takes this seriously. We exalt her. Well, we'll come to that. Pride is inordinate self-esteem. Inordinate. Excessive. Inordinate. There's the right kind of self-respect. You know, if you can press 500 pounds, no, it's okay to rejoice in that. Be glad about it. You go around thumping everybody that can't, uh, you got a problem. They have two, of course. <laughs> but you got a problem. You memorize 1,500 verses, you, you've got something to rejoice over. You go around looking down on people who've only memorized 150, you've got a problem. Uh, you establish a success in your ministry, God bless your ministry, people ask you to speak. You, you go around... Um, bragging about what you've done, you got a problem. You're going to eat dirt. Not too long. Pride goes before a fall. Inordinate self-esteem. It's okay to respect yourself. There's a point where you, where you get out of bounds. Haughtiness is to be disdainfully proud. The proud and the haughty. Now, these go together in scriptures. Um, disdain is looking, looking down on... Looking down on something with a feeling of contempt or just aversion to it. All these people with these wimpy ministries. Hmm. Or, you know, people, people in these other groups. When will they get a clue? You know, what we're doing is just really touched by God. When will, when will everybody else get a clue? You know, we look down on other people. It could be down socioeconomically. It could be down ethnically. It could be down nationally. But we, we start looking around, and whenever we look around, we somehow find out that around is always down. And that haughtiness is judged by God. God looks at what's going on in the heart. Now, one of the curses of success is a temptation to haughtiness. And um, if you develop haughtiness in your heart, you pay a price, there's a price tag. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure, be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. There are six things that the Lord hates. That's 16.5. Six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. You know what detestable means, dude, don't you? Now, in the word of about three years ago, it's that. It makes, it makes you want to throw up. You just, ah, I can't handle this. It's the abomination. You just, I just shun this stuff. There, there are these things are the kind of things that God, makes God sort of shudder and no. Some people feel that way about boiled okra. <laughs> you know, you look at boiled okra for the first time, they dip it out on a plate. And <laughs> detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. But haughty eyes, it's the eyes, see? That mm-hmm, 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 yeah. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. These get mocked by God. He mocks the proud mockers. Says they make fun of other people. They laugh at other people, and God finally gets them in a point where He starts laughing at them. Look at them. <laughs> look at them. When God laughs at you, you're really in trouble. <laughs> you're scorned by others. And so we just need to stay out of this department. There's a there's even a curse on the house, the household of this person. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, Scripture says, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. 
man has power. He maybe financial, maybe political, whatever. But he, he has he has some power, you know, to exert to keep himself protected. But whenever people get proud, God starts taking things apart in a way that nobody can stop. I remember once driving in a car that I was inordinately proud of. And I was just bragging about it to a friend. The Lord had already been telling me to sell it. I bought it out of his will. Uh, we shouldn't have spent money on that. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. But I still wanted it. I was driving in this thing, and I was bragging to my friend just when the car hit us. <laughs> I got out, looked back, or there's a motorcycle hit us. I looked back, saw this guy lying in the street, and I said, thanks, God. I thought, you know, what an idiot I've been. God's been telling me. Here I am as a beautiful English classic sports car. And uh, I really like that. And here I am bragging about this thing that God's been telling me to sell. And so what does God do? He bashes it. You know, God's been telling me for months. And now it's time. God destroys the house of the proud. I have, I have gotten proud of things, and they've been stolen. Other things weren't. Things I, thing I was proud of was. Tell about walking across campus. Which one, Bobby? Walking across with your new shoes. Oh, yeah. I, I had on an outfit one time I was real proud of. This was, I'd learned this lesson early. Uh, an uncle had given me a lot of very fine clothes, including a big tweed overcoat, and it's snowy and slick. And I was just walking across campus having a wonderful time as an uh, undergrad, a senior in the winter. Right in front of the student center, I hit a slick spot. These fancy shoes I had on, I boom, bam, down on my back. It hurt. Oh, it hurt. It hurt. I got up, took a step, boom, down, right back down I went. It hurt. I rolled over, got up, took a step, boom, there I went again. I, oh, it felt so bad. Later, that, later on, you know, that verse hit me, pride goes before a fall. The next day in the campus newspaper, this guy wrote an article about how wonderful it was to see a clothes horse land flat of his back, an arrogant clothes horse land flat of his back in front of the student center. Oh, double humility here. <laughs> One, you know, God gave me a little grace. The guy didn't know my name. That was... You see, we, we don't fear the Lord. We think that God's out there generally sort of doing his... He has the great, the great browser on the universal Internet that's slowly collecting facts about human beings, and he might actually tap in, you know, he, he, might, he might mow them in and, and, and get some information about me, but he might miss me in the middle of all the other information that's there. But God is very intimately involved in my life and capable of bringing correction in very small ways or very large ways. So this spirit of humility is not just something nice that Christians do. It's the path toward blessing. Uh, Jesus is a very humble person. At the same time, he rules heaven and earth. Um, scripture promises that destruction. The pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And, of course, I did. I mean, it was literal for me. A man's pride brings him low. I was very low. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. 
Well, there, there are at least three kinds of falls Scripture talks about. One's disgrace. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. You get disgraced before others. Another's money problems. Listen to this. Better to be nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. Proverbs 12.9. And then destruction of property. The consequences of pride are so bad that Scripture says it's better to be humble and under political oppression than to be dividing up fortunes with the proud. It'd be better to be humble in Russia under the boot of communism than free and dividing up a fortune with, with, proud, with the proud and free. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Proverbs 16, 19. Well, that's something you have to see as spiritual eyes. I mean, our world is not built around the greatness of humility. It's built around the greatness of arrogance and pride. You have to see this with spiritual eyes, and you have to make choices in your own heart uh, to prefer humility in life situations. Uh, pride, here's, here's one other one, an opposite. Self-exaltation, bragging. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. This is, this is one of those promises that, that Jesus made that... Um, you know, there are a set of promises that no one's claiming. Now, there's also a few gifts that no one's praying for, like celibacy. But there's, there's a set of promises no one's claiming. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Proverbs 12, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, 20, 23, 12. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is a two-pronged promise. One is, if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. The other is, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. The, the verse means that it is possible to exalt, you know, to raise up or lift up high. It is possible for a human being to exalt themselves in their own strength. Otherwise, Jesus would never said the first part of the verse. It is possible. And whenever we do that, whenever we work to, and connive and try to push to make ourselves so important in the eyes of others, the higher we rise, you know, the bigger the splatter whenever we come down. Whenever God lifts us up, people don't bring us down. Now, one of my prayers for my life has been that God would give me patience and raise me no higher than is good for me. There have been a lot of points along the way where I could push a little bit and have been a lot more important and, um, than, than I am in the eyes of people. And uh, there may be more tests I'll have to face. But... I don't want to push me up any higher than is good for me. You know, I've, already, I mean, I've had enough falls. I don't want to do a Grand Royale. Uh, on the night that Jimmy Swaggart's ministry went down, I got news that had gone down. Uh, I was really disappointed in that. And I uh, went home and told my wife, and I was saddened by it. But I went home and told my wife that night, and she said, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm glad that I am 43, I don't look like a movie star, and I am not world famous, and I'm fat. She said, why? I said, well, I could do a whole lot better than what I'm doing. But you know, tonight, I've got my wife. My children still have a name without a blot on it. And I have the ministry God has given me. And you know, with that, I can be really content. Now, fame, fame is okay. 
Billy Graham has fame, and God is really honored man. He's paid a real price for his integrity, and he's kept it through the years. But we, we just get so caught up in trying to be important to other people that we, we start making bad choices as we get on the fast track up. Those bad choices cause problems. So self-exaltation you watch out for. You can raise yourself in rank or power, especially by praising yourself. You know, highly articulate people like you have highly refined systems for letting people know how important you are in a humble way. Uh, you just have to watch that. Um, self-exaltation always brings humbling. It brings strife. You know, you get humbled when you make your great predictions, and uh, they don't come to pass. <laughs> uh, some ministries, in order to be a part of them, you have to have very short memory in order to stay excited. Because <laughs> that miracle that just didn't take place, we just sort of <laughs> pretend that one didn't happen. Uh, go back and, and rewrite the original game plan. Say, see, gang, it really did work. Uh, we, we have, don't brag about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth, Proverbs 27.1. Uh, there's another passage out of the Kings where one, um, I think it's Sennacherib, is coming against Ahab. He sent this messenger to tell him, tell Ahab, the men with me are like the dust of the earth. You know, we're just going to overwhelm you and bury you, Ahab. And Ahab says, tell him, let not him who girds on his armor boast himself as he that takes it off. Which being interpreted is, talk after the fight, Jack. <laughs> so just, people have asked me what great things we're going to do, and I tell them, check in next year and find out. You know, we'll know by the end of another year. I want to make plans. I want to call people to a vision. But there's a point where you pass over the legitimate and begin to defraud people, try to get motivation at the wrong price. You end up bragging. And it always causes strife and unrest. If you play the fool, if you've exalted yourself, or if you planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. That means... Or, uh, in the words of where I grew up, well, shut my mouth. Or as churning milk produces butter. Does churning milk produce butter? Uh-huh. You get whole milk. It's very frustrating, that homogenized stuff. <laughs> as twisting the nose produces blood. You know, somebody grabs your nose and gets a good twist. Will it bleed? Mm-hmm. So, stirring up anger produces strife. You start exalting yourself. You know what starts happening? Other people start getting mad at you. They start getting competitive. And before long, you've you got a problem in your ministry. Cure for self-exaltation just letting another person praise you. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips, Proverbs 27, 2. The problem is, it takes people several years to recognize just how worthwhile you are. <laughs> you have to wait. God in his time exalts his servants. Mockery is another way to get past humility. I'm going to go ahead and do this because I think it's important. Uh, to mock is to treat with contempt or ridicule. You know, to deride. You, you can do it by defiance, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, kids do that. That's, that's one form of mocking. Or challenging. Sometimes teenagers do that. They challenge authority. That's a way of mocking authority. 
Or make fun of people by imitating them. You know, kids are real good at that. Adults have their own refined way of carrying it out. Or ridiculing, just flat out making someone the object of laughter, scorn, laughing at those people, laughing at that ministry, laughing, laughing at these individuals. Uh, mockery is one of the opposites of humility. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, mockery's price tag is pretty impressive. Uh, getting mocked by God. Here's a promise, Proverbs 9:12. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the back of fools. Now, sometimes we enter into mockery when we make fun of religious things or we make fun of people who compete with us. Uh, I got a lesson way back years ago whenever I was a summer missionary that uh, was one of those experiences that began to set stage for the fear of God in my life. Uh, we had some of our mission team had gone. We were in the border of Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia uh, building a BSU center for a mountain university. And uh, in the course of the summer, a revival was being held in the stadium by an evangelist uh, in this neighboring town. And we were living in tents uh, on the edge of the woods building this center. And some of our gang went to revival that night. Well, they were all believers and, you know, righteous college students. And uh, the evangelist was a little manipulative. He began to ask, you know, how many of you know you are going to heaven? They all raised their hands. They were in this one section of this little high school football stadium, a small one. They all raised their hands. And he said something else. And he said, I feel a need for special prayer for this section of the audience over here. And they got sort of ticked by that. They finished out the revival. Several people got saved. They came back to the camp and um, started mocking him, imitating him. And they were really having a hoot, man. I mean, uh, they were going on. They were, it was so funny. But I, I felt real weird about this. I felt like I probably better not get into this. I sort of backed off the edge of the group and went on to my tent. I still hear him out there imitating his preaching and uh, making fun. A storm blew up. We all got in our tents that night, went to bed. And I was, I was lying down, had on my blue jeans, thankfully. Uh, and a storm blew up all of a sudden. And it was an incredible storm. We're sort of on the side of a hill. And the rain began, the winds began. I thought it was going to, we had the tents tied. They were center pole tents on wooden platforms. We had them tied tightly. And it was, it was all the stakes could do to hold in the ground. I mean, these things were flapping. All the guys, it just hit like this. All the guys rolled out of the tents as fast as they could. The ladies, in the case of emergency, were supposed to stay in their tents just in case the guys were naked when they rolled out. But we, that was the rule. In the, in the middle of this storm, the way it hit, everybody rolled out of the tents. Fortunately, all the guys had clothes on. And we, what we did is we ran for the cook tent. Because that was a big problem. We had stoves in our electric stoves and stuff. And it was just about to go. I, run, I jumped and grabbed one corner and hung on to it, pulling it down. Other guys were hanging around the tent. The fellows were running around driving the stakes in deeper. The rain was pouring. It was soon up over our ankles. And the guys who had been doing the most mocking, uh, all of a sudden, this was happening fast. All of a sudden, a lightning bolt came out of the sky. And went, 
and cut a limb out of a tree about this big and dropped it flat across their tent. Now, this wasn't very long after the mocking had been taking place. These guys took a look at that tent and went, Whoa! We got, we got things settled down. It was an awful storm. And um, we sat down and talked afterwards. You know, maybe this was not a good idea to mock this fellow. Because there's a strong sense in the group. This, this was from the hand of God. This man was his servant. And uh, he had been preaching the gospel, whether he was manipulative or not. Like Paul says, some preach out of envy and strife and others out of goodwill. But so what? They're all preaching the gospel. But he had been ridiculed up one side and down the other in the group. And when that, when that big branch fell smack across the tent of the mockers, I mean, we had worship. As soon as we got tent nailed down. Uh, a proud person can critique and parody just about anything. Uh, we, we can do it. We can call it uh, repartee. We can call it just making comebacks. Or we can call it, we can call it whatever we want to. Um, if there is something wrong, maybe it needs to be dealt with. If other people are doing inadequately, take it as a challenge to do excellently in your own work. But we turn and mock others at an expense. Now, that's just my journey. We didn't get any letter the next day from heaven saying this was special sent by God to make sure you don't mock again. But you know, for me personally, I decided it was simply a matter of two plus two equals four. Uh, the words, words fly so easily from us. And they flow, Jesus says, whenever our mouths get ready to deliver a load of words, all, the, all our tongues do is dip down into our hearts and toss out what's on there. A spirit of humility is not something just nice. It is something foundational to the way God operates. Something very, very, very precious to who he is as a person. And the way he runs the universe... Humility puts you in the right position to be on the path, the path for blessing. Um, let me let me stop there and take take some questions for a moment. We have about three or four more minutes left. Bobby. So how would you? What would you suggest to us um, in terms of, of pursuing that? One of the one of the things that I heard a guy say one time that really helped me out with both understanding my own walk with the Lord and then in helping others grow is that life is God's training program. Uh, the content of the training program comes out of the Word. But life is the framework of the training program. One of the things you have to do with college students often is you have to create disciplined groups, disciplined situations to train them. A lot of the guys in the community are already under severe discipline. they got a wife to feed, kids to take care of, and discipline's running high. Uh, you, you don't have to create a high discipline framework for a lot of them because it's already there. It's part of life. Uh, humility is one of those things that God is giving repeated opportunities for you to exercise. Uh, whenever your wife, you, you already come home, you come home, you're tired, and your wife needs to talk to you. It's easy to get pretty arrogant. 
uh, whenever your child wants to correct you or a student has input for the ministry and your heart thinks, who are you? You know, you, you haven't contributed anything to the ministry this year. You know, at best, you have been a freckle on the body of Christ. <laughs> well, yeah, you just need to humble yourself and receive input. Uh, it may be good, it may not be good. You just have to humble yourself. Over and over again, in relating to supervisors or people over you, there are just all kinds of little ways where you could, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And you, you, just, you just need to humble yourself and receive, listen. A lot of times it's expressed in teachability, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, other times it's expressed in just obedience. Other times it's expressed in being willing to humble yourself and honestly communicate what's going on in your heart. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times pride keeps us from really communicating what we need to. There are thousands of little bitty ways. Okay. Three kinds of falls. A disgrace, our financial problems. Uh, that was one of the. Yeah. Um, disgrace. And uh, money problems, destruction of property. I think that was it. Those last two you could relate together. How do you have vision without being without being prideful? What's well, a tough one? Um, the. Uh, I think the answer is probably uh, moment by moment. If God calls you to something, your heart's really, really into something. Um, that that's a very good thing. It's good to be passionately committed to what you feel God wants, and good to be calling other people to that. Uh, the trouble comes; it, it'll show anyway. If you're getting into pride, the the pride has to do with. And inordinate self-esteem. You begin to think you're great because you have a great vision. Or you begin to think that your vision is greater than other people's visions. Um, and we begin to take what God has given us and find reasons that we are better than other people in some way. It's a comparison kind of thing. And I don't know about you, but my heart has never been good enough to where I obeyed God once and that fixed it. What he tends to do is just recycle the same issue over and over and over again in four or five different, in five or maybe 25 different ways until finally I get this pattern established in my heart, recognizing the problem and then dealing with it. There was one here. Um, Ephesians 5 is the place you want to look. Uh, just in general, you know, there's the one whose tongue is like sword thrusts. That's Jack the Ripper in a verbal, verbal mode. Uh, 
And that, that's just wrong. We say things that hurt people. But over in Ephesians 5, it talks about several different kinds of wrong things. Now, one of them is just filthy talk. But another, another one sometimes is translated foolish jesting or levity. Um, one of the words in the Greek is, um, oh, what is it? Eutrophy. It means a good turn. Uh, we were not going to do humor at someone else's expense. And, you know, I, I try to use a lot of humor whenever I talk. Um, if I'm going to use humor, though, it's very important I not do it at other people's expense. When I do, I, buy, I, hit a, I go over a boundary. And the Holy Spirit will tell people in their hearts, you know, that, that one's quite right. So, um, you know, the put-down jokes and Texas Aggie jokes are funny, but in a group, they always create division. Uh, college students really like the cutting back and forth. Somebody picks you with a pen, you slash back your pocket knife, they pull out a machete, whack you back. You get out your double-bitted axe. The problem is usually in the second comment. If the second comment is never made, it doesn't go anywhere. So we just made a commitment to let it, let it stick in us and hurt and just not get into that. Humor is one of those areas that tells how much you fear the Lord. You know, a lot of people feel like, well, we can go ahead and be Christians, but now it's time to play. <coughs> And if play is not under the Lordship of Christ, for our leaders, if your play doesn't demonstrate the same set of values that your, quote, spiritual time does, you're teaching your people to live in two worlds and that God is not sovereign in one of them. The problem is that it's hard to rethink your playing. It's hard to rethink your humor. Of course, Scripture says if you do keep your mouth closed, people might think you're wise. <laughs> if you can't think of anything funny to say... Look wise. <laughs> I, I would encourage you to really rethink your humor, uh, particularly in a, in a larger group, because it so easily moves to the negative. We don't do roasts. Roasts are funny. Never, you know, you bring somebody up to honor them and you really roast them. Uh, they are funny, but uh, they're most, this is my opinion, I didn't find it in the Bible anywhere, they're most always a missed opportunity. That's a big problem. But well, we could have we really could have highlighted some values here that would set hearts toward the kingdom. And instead, what we did was make ourselves look important, as we showed how cute we were. Uh, I'm not saying that all of that is wrong. Uh, I, I've seen some roasts done where there are people only lightly browned or lightly burnt. Uh, but. There's just there's just real opportunity when it's time to honor people to raise high the things that are high on the heart of God. And it's just so tempting to try to be cute and sort of exalt ourselves a little bit too along with this. Good question. Any other? We'll take one more and then quit. You see, like most of the humor that, that you see on television and in movies is humor at someone else's expense, and, and they mastered that in art. And yeah. We that's right. Our hearts respond to it very well. And our funny box. The Oswald Sanders says in spiritual leadership, something about not laughing at things that God hates. 
Now, the, one of the problems with humor is the essence of most humor. It's not all humor. There's a lot of the woods just full of the right kind of humor. It's just that it's not easy to catch. You have to run it down, you know. The, um, but the essence of most humor is that someone's in a hard position, and you laugh at them. The problem is, if Jesus finds somebody in a hard position, what does he do? He helps them. And so it just sort of grinds against your message. And it grinds against the values of your group. And I don't know exactly what's right for you guys. I do know that it's something that doesn't need to be examined. Because pride gets in. Uh, one, of the, one of the problems, not with the repartee we're trying to cut each other, but just, um, oh, sometimes it's in puns and other things. First pun is usually okay. Then before long, we're into this proud competition. Uh, whenever pride gets involved, it may not be devastating, but it's just taking a group an unprofitable direction. So just rethink. Are puns wrong? No. Third pun usually is. <laughs> but just really think what, about what you're doing in terms of values. We'll quit. Do some more later. Tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. <laughs>